It's always weird on days like this when things don't, I mean, stuff doesn't work and video was a little choppy and microphones didn't work and guitars don't work and it's just, uh, I remember a time in my ministry life where those sorts of things would have just totally derailed my thinking. I would have become so wrapped up in, oh, that was terrible, or that sounded bad, or this didn't work right, or, or whatever. And I'm so thankful that God has, has kind of led me through that. That was, a, that was a big anxiety that I used to really deal with a lot, used to wrestle with a lot, was just that, kind of like we talked about last week, that perfectionism, which is different than trying to be excellent, by the way. Um, and perfectionism is different than even trying to do things perfectly. Perfectionism is an indictment internally of our success or failure. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to be excellent. Um, but uh, let's just put it this way. Are you perfect in everything? Perfectionism is a spirit that sometimes dwells within us that not only drives us to attempt to be perfect in everything, but when we fail, tells us the lie that we, don't, that, that we don't matter, that our value is less because we don't hit the mark. That's perfectionism. That's different than just trying to be excellent at what you do or who you are or, or anything like that. Those are not the same thing, right? They run on different tracks. But sometimes, often, at least for me, connected to that perfectionism thing is also this uh, sense of anxiety, this... Uh, it's kind of the precursor to an event or to an effort or to uh, uh, a success or a failure opportunity. Um, in a few weeks, we'll talk about fear. And I do want to make a distinction between these two things, anxiety and fear. Not completely the same thing. They're, they're cousins, like they shake hands once in a while. And anxiety can certainly lead us towards fearfulness and fear, but I just want to focus on anxiety today, and, and the way that I would define that is an ongoing state or mental, physical tension, right? You can identify with that, that uh, we sometimes say, you know, you're just getting so worked up, right? That, like you're, like you're a loaded spring, ready to go. Um, nervousness, uh, the inability to kind of maintain a stable thought process or sometimes even a stable physical process. It can manifest certainly physically, especially if we're really struggling with like a clinical type anxiety that, that it just is invading our thoughts and our life processes and the things that we do. Um, however, it doesn't, when we talk about anxiety, we're not necessarily talking about that it has a specific cause um, or um, we might say that that persistent anxiety, it, it maybe has something that we can point to and say, I'm anxious about that, but right now I don't possess the ability to take a break from my feelings about that. Now, I know there's, there are a lot of people who would say, suck it up, right? Get over it. Um, you should be able to deal with this. I mean, uh, you know, you've got a test tomorrow and you're freaking yourself out. You've got a job interview or maybe it's just your job. Your job gives you anxiety. Um, I was uh, telling uh, Deb earlier, we were having a discussion 
that song that we just sang, uh, the bridge for that, the in my life, that part, like vocally for me, that's like no big deal. But four or five years ago, those of you who, who were here with us in the last couple of years, you know that I had this, this thing going on with my thyroid and my vocal cords. And I was, the doctor put me on 90 days, 100% vocal rest. That was a challenge. Um, I think I broke it twice, and I was mad both times, but I only whispered. <laughs> you know, um, so it wasn't very effective, really. Uh, but during that time, that same thing that I sang this morning was almost out of my reach. I went through some vocal therapy, and I did some things to help myself, and I understood what was happening here, and, and I'm thankful that God has has kind of allowed a lot of that flexibility that I've enjoyed in my voice over the years as, as my voice has been my way to, to both serve God and to have a career that he's restored a lot of that. I'm thankful for that. But listen, there was no small amount of anxiety when I realized how much of my vocal abilities and flexibility I had lost compared to what I had before. Um, in fact, I, I, I mean, I'd gone to get my hearing checked because I thought maybe I was having deafness that I didn't realize. Um, I, when they found the thyroid thing, uh, it was a, there was this panic about uh, thyroid cancer, what was happening in there and those sorts of things. We all have those kinds of experiences in our lives, whether it's a, a sudden event like that that comes up that sort of changes our landscape, and then we, we worry about it. And really... Anxiety and if, if anxiety and fear are cousins, anxiety and worry are siblings. Because they camp out in the same house together. Um, now, anxiety we think of, uh, in a clinical way, we think of uh, anxiety as producing these both physical and mental uh, reactions that we have. Uh, the racing mind, uh, a racing heart, high blood pressure, um, Sweats, the inability to focus, um, irritability, anger, uh, depression. Uh, these things can all manifest from that. And then often, I find for myself anyways, if I'm wrapped up in kind of an anxious episode, that where it leads me to is I'm just really worried about outcomes, my performance, people's perceptions. Um, and I know that... As I've gotten older, I've been able to, to learn some, some practical techniques to minimize how that plays out in my life. Uh, but there are still times, and certainly there have been times in my past where, uh, whether it's to do with uh, family things or uh, things that I've done that were stupid that hurt people, and, and I, I was thinking about those things, or uh, issues related to the church, you know, dealing sometimes with the financial pressures. Um, um, living with you sometimes in the midst of your hurt and the things that you're struggling with and walking through those things with you together, which is an incredible privilege to do, to share those things with you. But sometimes, uh, just like everybody else, those things will pile up and get to a place where, you know, trying to go to sleep or trying to function on a task, and I just can't get this brain to settle in or to focus, and I'm, I'm just... I'm just firing on all those other things that I'm thinking about, and it produces a great deal of anxiety. Now, for some people, that can lead to what, what I just mentioned, a place of clinical anxiety, where um, it, has, it has now become not, for, for many of us, it might be a, a disruption to a moment, 
a disruption to something that we're trying to accomplish or a task that we're trying to do. But for many people, it can become, I mean, a disruption to life, the ability to function, this anxiety. Um, a recent study says that uh, uh, more Americans are, are stressed, depressed, anxiety-ridden, and many more are unable to get the help that they need than ever before in American history. And it's an interesting paradox that happens. We find that there are more and more people suffering from a more debilitating level of anxiety, and yet access to mental health care and professionals who can help give some practical tools and help some coping mechanisms, sometimes uh, using medication and things like to, to, to things that are happening in us, that access to that kind of care is decreasing at the same time that the need perhaps to have that kind of care is increasing. There's an estimated 8.3 million American adults, about 4% of the population, suffer from serious psychological distress. All right, so that's, I mean, that's at the, that's at the, the top level of suffering and debilitation by things like anxiety. Um, that's uh, about a, a one and a half year old estimate. All previous estimates put that at 3% or less. And so we see that number rising. Uh, anxiety disorder uh, in all of its ranges, they estimate affects some 40 million adult Americans. That's a lot. Um, for every person who's, who's actually clinically diagnosed, there are so many more who struggle with some of anxiety's symptoms like sleep deprivation, sleep problems. Um, worry that just won't stop, right? Um, uh, a sense of fear or uneasiness. Physical symptoms, shortness of breath, uh, rapid heart rate, high blood pressure. Um, like I said, uh, irritability, anger. All of these uh, things come in hand with that. And then as bad as we think about the, the rate of anxiety is about among adults, uh, it's perhaps the, its prevalence among children that's even more worrisome. Uh, recent studies from the National Institute of Mental Health uh, indicate that 38% of girls between the ages of 13 and 17 and 26% of boys had a clinical anxiety disorder. Anxiety is the most common mental health concern on our college campuses today. And with that anxiety so widespread, is it any wonder that we're seeing colleges and places where they demand a safe space or uh, trigger warnings about certain topics and things like that. In fact, in a couple of weeks, uh, next week I'll be talking about um, doubt and disappointment with God. And then the first Sunday of February, God Ashley is going to join us here. He'll be back uh, from his uh, time in Africa. He's going to talk to us about loneliness. Um, and having spent this tremendously long time on his sabbatical where he went for sometimes weeks at a stretch with no one else who spoke English. He got some really uh, deep insights into what it really means to be lonely uh, in that kind of an atmosphere. And then uh, the week after that, uh, Joe Greeson is going to uh, preach with us and teach with us, and he'll be uh, taking the topic of uh, depression. We're going to touch on the epidemic of suicide, not only in our country, but particularly in Alaska and some of the places where through Send North Joe and Holly and, and their friends and the people that they work with have, have ministered in the communities of Alaska that have been hit so hard by that. I say that to you now because I want to give you a little bit of a warning, right? Because 
these topics and, and these ideas can, can truly trigger that anxiety and that concern and that worry. And, and it all comes back to being rooted in the idea. We, we sometimes in media and social media, we see we kind of make fun of this safe place kind of thing. But this is really what anxiety gets back to. When we're wrestling with these feelings of anxiousness and anxiety that we can't control, that sort of that overpower us and can even lead uh, many of us to a place of like a panic attack, right? Uh, you've heard of that. You've experienced that. Maybe you know people who have dealt with that. This, this just uncontrollable sense of, of concern and worry, and I can't grasp it, and I can't put my hands around it, and I don't know what's going to happen, and it overwhelms my brain, and it just kind of all begins to spill out the sides. When we get to that place, we want to see today, does the Bible offer us anything that can help us with that? And this idea of safe places really becomes a real thing for some people who have experienced trauma or who are just having a struggle internally with these feelings of anxiousness and anxiety. So I don't want to take a long time with you today. I want to share a couple of passages of scripture with you. And then I have some practical things, uh, many of which have really great biblical foundations to them that can help you if you find yourself dealing with anxiety about how to kind of short circuit some of those things. Because at the end of the day, while we might be able to use medication, and, and some people are using uh, some medications very successfully to help, to help them keep these things in check, um, it may be that for some peop people, there are some, there are some internal physical chemistry uh, issues that are happening that, that override what they know are, I mean, they know what rational thoughts are, and they still can't sort of grab a hold of them and, and get things under control. And that may be a physiological thing just as much as it is to have a broken arm or to have a headache or something else where we are thankful that we have some sort of medication that we can use to assist the body in doing what it's naturally supposed to be able to do but sometimes can't. But possibly for some, there really is a, a, a way to also adopt some coping mechanisms, some coping techniques, some, some thought-changing uh, techniques that can allow them to have some more control over their own emotions and the way that they think and feel about these things, in addition, perhaps, to therapy or medication, all right? So, uh, the first one that I want us to look at is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Now, this... Uh, this actually starts out in verses 4 and 5. It says, um, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then he says this, Do not be anxious about everything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we have to be careful with passages of Scripture uh, like this, where uh, in this letter, uh, this is only a small part of the writer when he's, he's encouraging uh, this church in a place called Philippi. He's, he's giving them some ideas and some, some information about what it means to live the Christian life and what it means to reflect 
the presence of Christ within us. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't take this, and, and some people will, they'll take this, don't be anxious about anything, and they'll project this as if it's a command. Like you, hey you, stop being anxious about things. We find in scripture that uh, in many places, uh, especially we'll look at this in a couple of weeks when we talk about fear with, with Jesus, you know, he repeats things because he knows that we're sometimes not very good at this. That sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, this is kind of back to the idea of that, that perfectionism. Does God want us to be um, perfect? He says in the scripture, uh, be therefore perfect as I am perfect. Okay, so strive for that, yes. Does God understand that we're going to mess it up? He absolutely does. This is why it's called grace. This is why it's called God's favor given out to us, even though we don't deserve it. Instead of God saying, hey, you better get it 100% right or you're off the list. Because everybody would be off the list. And so we don't see this as a command. We see it as something to strive for. We see it as something to receive and internalize and say, okay, as I walk with Christ and he is in me, I can over time naturally become the kind of person who isn't anxious but it may not happen today. It may not happen at this moment. So the Bible tells us again in so many different places, it tells us that we are a new creation, but it also tells us that we're on a journey. It tells us that we're growing. It tells us that our life in Christ is a living thing. It's not just an instantaneous thing, but it's a living thing that we grow in knowledge. We grow in understanding. Paul says in one place, he says, at one time I thought like a child, but now, now I've matured and I'm thinking like a man without those immature thoughts anymore. We see that in all areas of our life and even in our spiritual life. That sometimes it takes us a while to get from A to B to E to L, however far we gotta go, right? And there's no, there's no crime in that. There's no shame in that. There's no condemnation in that. It is the way that this spiritual life works out. It's the same for everyone, and we're all at different places in our journey together. But that's also why we're supposed to be together. That's why Christianity and our, our Christian faith is not meant to be uh, a, an individual sport. It's meant to be a team effort, because we can help one another, because I can, I can see you and, and go, wow, look at what God's done in you. I'm still struggling with that. Could, you, could we talk about that? Can you share with me your journey? And then maybe someone else looks at me and goes, wow, look at what God's done in your life. I'm, I'm really wrestling with this thing over here. Could, you, could we talk and maybe, Pastor Tracy, you could share with me about how, how that journey has worked for you and how God did that? And so he's telling us here, part of the journey is to, is to strive to become the kind of people who are so close to the presence of God because, listen, is God anxious about anything? Is God worried about anything? If the answer to that is no, it's sort of a rhetorical question, right? The answer is no. And if we want to be more like him, then we strive to be like this. People who have such profound faith and trust in God that we come to a place where we're not anxious about anything because we know him, because we know his provision. It can be sometimes in all of these arenas of kind of spiritual discipline, it can be a difficult thing to get to that place. Because not only sometimes is our own nature warring against us, but listen, 
the world is warring against us. You think about these statistics. Why, why are so many more people um, being diagnosed with anxiety? Why is it on such a rise among children and things like that? Um, for all the potential positives that things like social media have to them, there are definitely some negative signs, right? I don't know about your media feeds, social media feeds, the last several days, basically since Thursday, but it's just been a lot of fighting on mine. Not me, because I don't engage in that nonsense, but I just want to look at, like, I, oh, Karen and I saw this fantastic video of this little boy giving his dog a hug, and his dog hugging him. His dog got up on his legs and put his arms around him and put his head down on his shoulder. I'm like, that's so sweet. That's what social media is for. Right? I, there was a video of a, of a guy holding a puffer fish, right? He's holding it up here and it's all puffed out. And then he throws it in the water and hits the water and it just goes, and off he swims. And it was, it was adorable. It's like, that's awesome. But instead, it's, I hate you and I hate you. And that cannot help our anxiety levels, right? <laughs> to, to look out at our fellow humans and sometimes to be the fellow human. Who's just kind of dumping on somebody else? Um, I, I, I say often, um, one of the things that I think social media has done to us is has, has poisoned our ability to have actual conversations about anything. You know, there used to be a time when people would disagree about things and we would sit face to face across a coffee table or something and talk about it and we would maybe not come to agreement, but we would come to understanding. And then we'd get up and we'd give a, a hug to somebody and they'd go home after we've had dinner and we'd plan to see them again next week. You know, now it's, um, I mean, there's a part of me that sometimes just wants to troll the world and just post a statement that I know is going to be controversial and just watch the flames. Because that's what happens, right? Uh, and, and sometimes you don't even know you're going to step in it. You could say what you think is the most innocuous thing. Like, I like dogs. I like dogs. <clears throat> and then, look, you're an idiot. Hey, dogs are stupid. Hey, you know, cats are so much better. And all this stuff, right? And then we have this this unprecedented in all of human history, and I don't think it's a good thing, is the 24-7 news cycle. Um, I used to be a, a talk radio junkie, and I listened to everybody from all across the spectrum. And I, 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 man, and I used to spend a lot more time in my car driving around, had a couple of different jobs, and I would be on site, and then when I'd be on site working at somebody's computer, I didn't need to talk to them, so I'd have my headphones in, and I'd just have it going all the time. I can't stand it anymore. I, I just can't do it. Um, I also used to be a religious television junkie, so those both went away way about the same time, which is an interesting correlation, but I don't know how to put them together exactly. Uh, but you get what I mean? Um, or like, I, I had, uh, Sheila and I were talking about this the other day, I think, I had signed up for the Nixle alerts. Anybody? Nixle alerts? You get those on your phone? I had to turn it off. I, no. It's like, and then there was another one, some Facebook page, you know, um, Anchorage Crime Watch or something, and I just... Yeah, and I just had to shut it off. I'm like, oh, my gosh, because I'm like, man, I better be packing when I go to the store, you know. Uh, you know. 
right, right, right? Every, you know, every time you go out to start your car, you're like in a panic, right? You're looking around the neighborhood going, you know, even before you go out to warm up your car, you're thinking, is today the day my car is going to be stolen because i got to warm up my car? We live in this environment where sometimes information is so pervasive and so readily available. Maybe that's not so great. Maybe it's not so good to know uh, in real time the arguments that are happening between senators of different parties and the White House and the House of Representatives and then to have you know our media personalities that we do or we don't like weighing in on every single word that's been said and every single inflection that's been made in every conversation analyzing photographs about somebody's facial expression taken in a thousandth of a, of a second um, when I was <laughs> when I was doing uh, pictures for uh, cross-country uh, running Christopher was in cross-country running and they do a big banquet at the end of the year and I took a ton of pictures at his races you know it's, it's hilarious to go through and see some of the pictures that you catch. Not because you knew you were taking that picture, but because cameras move so quickly now and they take photographs so quickly. You know, you catch people in the <laughs> phase, you know, and, it, and they, they look like something horrible is happening to them or somebody's just talking and, and they're having, you know in the context that they were having a lovely conversation, but you catch them with this look on their face. And if you put that out there, people go, man, what'd you feel mad about? They were, they were arguing with each other. It was terrible. And so, is this really helping our anxiety level as a people to have access to these images and these ideas and these thoughts on a 24-7? Maybe that might be one of the coping mechanisms that you need to adopt is to just turn off. Commit to a greater level of actual conversation instead of Passive social media and, and news and entertainment conversation. Because I don't think it's helping. I don't think it helps any of us. So it's not really a command, but it's something to strive for. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in everything, by prayer. Now, let's define that prayer just for a moment. Yes, prayer is talking to God, but we hope that we grow to be people who are experiencing prayer as a, as a conversation with God. That we, that we not only speak to him, but we try to listen. That we put ourselves in an attitude where we can hear from him. Because he says if we'll do this, if we'll, if we'll take everything and make it a matter of prayer before God. Let our requests to him be made known. And sometimes our requests might be, I need a new job, but sometimes our requests might be, uh, <laughs> Anne Lamott, help, thanks. Wow. She says, this is the greatest prayer you can ever pray. It's, it's, she said, it's, the, it's really the, the, the model prayer for us today. Help, thanks, Wow. He says, if we'll do this, if we'll take every single thing and place it before God, he tells us that his peace will come to us. And it's a peace that surpasses understanding. What does that mean? It means that even though we sit in the midst of a moment where our anxiety, our concerns, our worries have 
pushed us to the point of not being able to really even function normally, that if we will submit to God and we'll say, here, you take this, you take this, and we'll seek that. And listen, guys, it might take more than once, right? You might have to do it over and over and over, but go to him, give it to him. He tells us that if we'll do that, this peace that frankly doesn't make any sense, because you're looking at your circumstance, you're feeling your anxiety, you're in the midst of your worry, and you're going, I don't know how I'm ever going to get rid of this, and yet the Spirit of God can come in, and while all of that garbage is still laying out there and none of it has changed, he says that he can bring to us a peace that will transcend that moment. He says that peace, if we'll pursue it, will come and become a shield around our hearts and around our minds through the power of Jesus Christ. A couple of other passages here that kind of ca- that uh, capitalize in on this. Luke chapter 12. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, here we go, right? So this is Jesus. He, wrote, he said this before Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians that we just read, read from. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And when he says life here, the word there in the, in the Greek means the totality of your life. Not just, you know, heart pumping, breathing, but like the, the thing you're living. Your stuff, everything around you. He says, look, don't be anxious about that. About what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious about your body, what you'll put on, the clothes that you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And we've used this uh, similar passage here in the last several weeks. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? He says, if all of your worrying can't guarantee that you're going to get even another breath, he says, then why be anxious about anything? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus is speaking in some very specific physical terms, right? Clothing, food, shelter, these sorts of things. But the principle runs very deeply underneath of that. Because maybe those aren't the things that you're worried about. Maybe those aren't the things that are bringing you anxiety. Maybe a completely different set of things, but the principle reigns true, which is this. Uh, He says, says basically, he says, look, 
Everybody's worried about that stuff. But you, you have a good, good father. And he knows just what you need. And if you will seek to trust him in everything, he will give to you everything you need. And so there's a core place where anxiety comes down to a matter of trust. A matter of trust in him. And that, I think, can sometimes be the greatest struggle of all. Because we do wrestle with disappointment, and we do wrestle with doubt. Um, we do wrestle with the fact that, you know, God isn't tangibly present right here like, like you and I are. You know, we can see each other, we can eyeball each other, we can talk about things. That's one place where we in the church and, and as brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to be the physical presence of God to our brothers and sisters to help with that. But God calls us to something even deeper. And again, I don't believe it's necessarily an instantaneous transformation. It's something that we strive towards. And that as we draw nearer to him, he draws nearer to us. That we naturally become people who can lay aside some of our worries, who can lay aside some of those anxieties and instead trust in him because we've come to know him for who he really is. Maybe more today than we did yesterday. So some practical things. Take a time out. When that racing begins to happen, starts to tumble over into I can't function, get quiet, be still. The Bible, the Bible tells us that meditating is a good thing. Meditate on the word of God, day and night it says. That doesn't necessarily mean read your Bible 24 hours a day, but it means understand some of those things that he's telling us, like listen, don't be anxious for anything because I got you. I'm with you. And so we get still and we go, okay, guide, you've got this. Send your peace to me right now. It's a very biblical idea, very biblical principle to just get alone and take a break. We see Jesus do it a couple of times in the gospel where it's recorded. I'm sure he did it more than that, but there's a couple of times it's recorded where it says, and Jesus went to be alone. Um, we all know this, eat, eat good stuff and eat it at regular times. Um, the stuff that we consume can drastically influence the way that we feel, the way that we think. And some of it's good for us and some of it's not. Um, be careful about uh, the amount of alcohol and caffeine and stimulants and things like that that you're taking into your body. Uh, alcohol can be depressive, right? So it can lead you to the depressive side of anxiety. Caffeine and other stimulants can lead you to the jacked up side of anxiety. And, and just turn that roller coaster, that, that, that train onto full speed. You know, we go from uh, steam locomotive to bullet train. I know this is a hard one. Sleep. Right, you're like, have you seen what's going on in my head? How am I supposed to sleep? I get it. But it's something to strive towards, to break those habits of uh, 
of staying up way past when you know you should and try to teach yourself, teach your body, convince your body to rest enough. Rest is essential. Um, exercise, burn off some of that energy. Sometimes that can help. Um, now, it might be that you're in the moment, though, right? Maybe you don't have time to take a break, but you're in the moment. Something happens. And <laughs> Those tried and true methods, man, count to ten. Right? Take a deep breath. Count to ten. Take a moment. Do your best. Don't concentrate necessarily on aiming for perfection when it isn't possible. But do your best. Now there's some, look, you and I know there are some areas where perfection is required, right? Some of you have professions and things that you do where close enough is not good. <laughs> right? uh, I'm looking, I'm thinking of some of our medical professionals here. Um, John, piloting, piloting, right? Uh, almost is probably not <laughs> the target that you're shooting for, right? So separate those things out. But sometimes cut yourself some slack. Internalize, accept that you cannot control everything. Oh, wow. I know some of you just took that one like, oh. I feel it. I'm not one of those people, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have any control over that, whatever. You know. But man, it's hard for some of us, right? I've got a tiger by the tail, it's plain to see. Right. And can you imagine what it's like to have a tiger by the tail? Yeah. Well, that's life, friends. Sometimes you just got to go, not, nothing I can do about that. Um, pursue humor. Laughter really is a great medicine. Work to maintain a positive attitude. And, and I say work because sometimes it is work. Some of the ways that you can help that, though, is by thinking about what you're putting in your brain, right? Um, a constant diet of negativity is probably not going to produce a positive attitude. So think about that. Uh, get involved with others, volunteering, things like that. This is probably one of my favorite that's on this list. Serve other people. One of the best ways I find to get outside my own thinking is to do something for someone else. Um, Karen and I have been walking. We didn't walk a lot last week because I was sick, but we went for a walk yesterday and I was grumpy, but we had a great time. I don't like walking in the cold. Um, I've only been here for 45 years. I don't know what I'm thinking. But I, I don't. I wrote a song about it. I like winter walks with her, even though I hate the cold. It's true. I hate it. But I did it because she loves to do it, and it made me feel better. Right? Do something for someone else. Uh, last couple of ones. Learn. Be aware of what is triggering your anxiety. Most of us do have, even those who have a clinical level of anxiety, there are some things that we can identify that we go, man, that just pushes my buttons. Well, then investigate ways that you can not be in position for those buttons to be pushed. And that may not be possible, right? Because I don't know, you know, someone very close to you may be the one that's pushing your buttons. I don't know. 
so that makes it a little more difficult, but, but think about it. See, and this is really at the core of all of this. Um, talk to somebody, talk to someone else about what's going on with you. Obviously, uh, all of this is encompassed in that idea of praying, though, right? It's all under the, the, the umbrella of praying and seeking God. But kind of at the, at the bottom of all of this is, is understanding the place that God wants to have in your life. And is it possible that some of these things that we're experiencing are because We've, we've still segmented some areas of our lives out and we're really not letting God invade those very much. And so we're trying to handle it on our own and we're using some good coping mechanisms and we're working it out, but what if we really brought God along into the same arena with all of those areas? And listen, I, I could tell you personally about families that we have here that in, in their family, they're struggling with many of these same issues. I, I can think of four or five different families here that have different levels of, of this anxiety type issue going on and, and it shows up sometimes um, uh, in um, the way that we think and then it shows up sometimes in our physicality. And there's no question that there's a, there can be a genetic component to this that we deal with and this is where medical intervention can be such a huge help to us to not feel like we have to slug it out on our own because sometimes there are things going on with us physically, biologically, that we cannot control. And we should seek help for those things. And then alongside those things, or maybe if that's not our deal, we should absolutely be thinking in terms of how can I invite God more deeply into the circumstances of my life so that he can he can excel, he can grow, his presence can increase in me so that I can naturally become the kind of person who deals with these things in a different way, who deals with these things from a, a biblical perspective of putting my trust in God. Now, the, the, the thing is still there, the problem is still there, the issues are still there, but man, my God is big. To bring those things into concert, to bring those things into cooperation in our lives, I think, is a, is a great thing. Something we should strive toward. So those are some, some practical, practical things. And at, at, the, at, the, at the bottom of it, it really becomes a pursuit to change the way that we think about things. I think Jennifer and I had this conversation here in the hallway last week about repentance. That this is the true meaning of repentance. Repentance got, gets kind of a, a bad rap in, in modern church, I think, because we've cast it as this, don't do that. To repent means don't do that. So if we, you know, don't be anxious. Ooh, boo you if you're anxious. <laughs> repent. And yet that's not repentance. That's judgment. Repentance is is found in Romans. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. It is absolutely repentance 
that what we're asking God to do is to come into our thinking, which sometimes is messed up and sometimes is broken and sometimes is racing and sometimes is out of control. We're asking God to come into our thinking and transform our minds with his power so that we're not conformed to the way the world works. Remember, all those nations are out there worrying about this stuff, but you don't have to be like this because your mind can be transformed into the mind of Christ. And in the mind of Christ, there's a peace that passes all understanding. That's repentance. And it is an ongoing process. I hope that you will seek that. Seek that change that only the presence of Christ can bring in you. Allow him to be more present. Read the word, read the Bible, have conversations with people who love Jesus and have been through some journeys. Take time out, pray, converse, meditate, think, take a breath, and invite the presence of God to be with you. Invite the presence of God to transform you. And I believe that you truly can find some relief to those things that are driving you crazy. Things that are making you feel like you're out of control. Now notice I didn't say that doing any of that might change your circumstances, because it may not. And I think this is the great beauty of the message of the gospel, is that what God has promised us is, that he's, is not that he's going to make everything great. He's promised us that we will never be alone, no matter our circumstances. I think that's the greatest thing. From now and through eternity, he says, I will be with you. Come what may, calamity or success, I will be with you. I couldn't ask him for anything greater than to be with me in the middle of whatever's happening, good or bad. So I pray that you would seek him in there. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And give you peace. Peace which passes all understanding. Lord, uh, meet us where we are. Inspire us, provoke us, lead us through circumstance, through conversation, and Lord, through your direct voice to us to be people who deeply seek your presence in us that we might become more like you. And in so doing, we'll really grab hold of that peace. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.